The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey everybody, welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. Coming up on today's program, uh, there are a few things that are going to be as important for the city of Detroit than getting an accurate count in the census this year. Now, getting people to participate in the census has always been difficult. A number of us just pick up the form, we fill it out. But a lot of people are paranoid. They maybe have a lot of different reasons as to why they fear the census. Fear the government knowing information about who's in their family, how many people are living in their house. So they don't return it at all. And what's the impact on that? Well, potentially less congressional representation for the city, for our region. Also, less federal dollars coming our way. That's why it's important to inform and educate people on how big of a deal the census is. We'll talk to the person responsible for making sure Detroiters fill out that form coming up on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by TechTown Detroit, Detroit's entrepreneurship hub. TechTown Detroit is a business incubator and accelerator, helping tech startups and local businesses launch and grow. TechTown supports businesses with co-working, office, meeting, and event space. They also connect entrepreneurs to resources and learning and networking events in Detroit. TechTown Detroit, Detroit's entrepreneurship hub. Hey, Craig here. Thanks for sticking around, checking out the show on this day. As I said in the intro, the census is critically important. There are so many different things that, uh, that the census impacts around here. And it's more than just congressional representation. It is a ton more than just that. So many other things are dependent on it. So getting people to actually fill out the form, getting them to make sure that they are counted is a big deal. And the city is putting a lot of resources behind getting that done. Now, recently at the Detroit Policy Conference, I had a chance to sit down and talk to the woman in charge of the census here in Detroit. Her name is Vicki Kavari. Mayor Duggan tasked her to be in charge of the census this year. And I thought it was an important conversation that if you weren't watching the live stream, you needed to hear today. So here's my conversation with Vicki Kavari. Very excited to have with me right now my friend Vicki Kavari. She's the executive director of the Detroit 2020 Census Campaign. And of course, she and I, full disclosure, worked together. She was, uh, she was the deputy director of the Department of Neighborhoods uh, while I was at the Land Bank. I was sort of the liaison from the Land Bank to the Department of Neighborhoods. So you and I worked on a number of things together over yeah, the years. a lot of things. It was great to see you again. Nice to see you too. But when I found out you're going to be in charge of the census operation in Detroit, first of all, it's, it's a massively heavy lift. Um, I thought there was a good person in charge of this. I was pretty well, excited to hear about it. But again, I said it's a heavy lift. Did you have any idea how big a lift this actually is? I think I did. Um, Detroit is, um, according to a bunch of different reports, the hardest to count city in the United States. You know, the combination of poverty and um, the low internet connectivity and a bunch of other factors. And so, uh, and having been in the Department of Neighborhoods for five years, uh, we, we understood pretty well 
uh, looking back at our experience in 2010 with the census and how we had such a low response rate. And then when we dug through the data on all of these different neighborhoods and looked at you know, what the Census Bureau was saying about the likely response rate, we, we pretty much knew that this was going to be a monumental task. Well, and, and I mean, there is so much riding on this, and I don't think a lot of people recognize just how much is tied to a good census count for a city like Detroit. I mean, it, obviously we're going to stress the importance of, of filling out the census form, but what is at stake for Detroiters, people who might be otherwise reluctant to fill out this form, why it's important for them? So the census impacts everyone in the city of Detroit. Every federal dollar that the state of Michigan and the city of Detroit gets for critical programs like Medicaid, special education, Head Start, bridge cards, even uh, college student aid is at least in part based on the census count. So very simply, the fewer the people we count, the less federal money we get for these critical programs. And everybody knows somebody who benefits by Medicaid. Who, kids who get school lunches, um, people who, students who benefit by special education, uh, bridge cards. I mean, so we all know folks that are impacted whose lives depend sometimes on those programs. So the, that issue of for every person in the city of Detroit we do not count, it'll cost us upwards of $5,000 per person per year. So you multiply that by 10 years and it gets to be tens of millions of dollars. Um, and so that is a huge reason why the census matters and why it's important that everyone fill it out. And by everyone, I mean the census counts everyone who eats and sleeps in the city of Detroit. The census wants to count you as a Detroiter, regardless of what's on your driver's license or where your car is registered or whether you're here temporarily. Well, you mentioned those things, and I think that's why so many people are reluctant. They're afraid to do this for fear of ICE, for instance, for fear of their car insurance or whatever. Uh, people are suspicious of why the government wants this information. How big of a barrier is that to overcome for some folks? Okay, so the census is mandated in the Constitution. So we've been doing the census for a very long time. And I understand in this day and age, people are mistrustful of a whole lot of institutions. Um, but in the census, um, that information that links your name to that particular address is sealed for 72 years. I know people find that hard to believe, but the last information, public information that was released that shows uh, a name and an address was the 1940 census. Wow. The 1950 census is not going to be released until 2022. And so that information is strictly confidential. Um, it's, been, it's gone all the way up to the Supreme Court that immigration cannot share that information. That's not shared to the FBI or the CIA or any level of government. No private company, including insurance companies, not friend of the court, not law enforcement. No one has access to this information except for the census to count people. And um, if they violate, they all have to take a sworn oath. Even I had to take an oath just working with numbers of the census, not even looking at any names or anything. And if you violate that oath, it means 10 years in prison and $250,000 in fines. So it's a very serious thing. All the census workers, um, there are only two political appointees in the entire U.S. Census Bureau. So all these folks are regular federal employees, and they take it very seriously. 
Uh, my guest, again, is Vicki Kavari. She's basically in charge of the census for the city of Detroit, a position that the mayor put her in. Um, a lot of people also don't think about it. This is how we determine how many representatives we're going to have in Congress. Uh, the information also talks about the state legislature. And people don't necessarily recognize if they're not being counted, they're impacting their power at the ballot box in a number of ways as well. Uh, you know, Detroit, we've seen our congressional delegation shrink, our state legislature delegation shrink as the population has changed. Uh, stopping that in its tracks is critical. Yeah, I'm, very simply, um, there are states that have higher populations than we do right now that have fewer representatives in Congress. So we are definitely at risk of losing another seat in Congress. Um, but besides the money and the federal representation, the census is also a record of your family, a record of you, where you lived at this moment in time. So in 72 years, when most of us are not around, it'll be our grandkids, yourself, our great-grandkids, right? It's not a happy thought. But it'll be those kids, great-grandkids, our, our great-nieces and nephews, who will want to go back, just like I went back to look at my grandfather's 1940 census. And it was really important for me to actually see his name and the names of my mom and my, my aunts on that form. So, so that record is, is important. And if you're not counted, you don't fill out the form, it's like you didn't exist, and we want everybody to be counted in the city of Detroit. Well, talk a little bit about some of the lengths that you're willing to go to to get people to fill this out. What you're doing differently this time around, uh, you know, in terms of getting people to actually do it, because it's not the easiest thing in the world. It's not difficult, but there's a lot of questions on there. I mean, we're we talking like having parties where everybody brings their census forms? I mean, is there are there things like that that Great you can idea. do? Great um, idea. So the census form is easy. Actually, there's nine questions. Yeah. And they don't ask about income. It's just very basic. Age, race, how many people are living in your household. That's the number one question. Um, so if you're living alone, if you're just living with one other person, it'll take you no more than 10 minutes. Um, in Detroit, 86% of everybody will get a paper form in the mail and a letter that says you can go on the Internet. So there's actually three ways. You can go on the Internet. You can fill out the piece of paper and send it in through the mail. Or there's going to be a toll-free number where you can fill it out over the phone. Um, in the city of Detroit, we are just pulling out all the stops. So we have one of the most robust communications and outreach strategies in the country. For example, we've recruited 120 neighborhood leaders um, to be census captains. So every single neighborhood will have a census captain assigned to it to go to block clubs and business association meetings to actually sign people up to encourage them, to show them how to fill out the form. Um, we're going to have 150 places all across the city, including 50 kiosks, where people can go into grocery stores or rec centers uh, and fill out the census on, on, a, on a computer or a tablet. Um, the, all 22 branches of the Detroit Public Library, every single computer will have a census link to it. So you can go on the computer and fill out the form. Um, Besides the Census Assistance Centers and the Captains, we're going to launch um, Census Sundays in 150 churches um, beginning March 15th. Uh, the Census goes live March 14th. That's when they're going to send out the mailing. That's when the website goes live. So we're working with Detroit Public Schools. We're going to be doing lesson plans in elementary, middle, and high school in the first week of April. Um, so that kids can go home and tell their parents they want to be counted. And it's important 
um, the DPS, uh, Detroit Public Schools, will be sending parents text alerts to remind them to fill out the form. Um, and we're going to be uh, going to businesses. We're doing a rally March 14th where we're going to have uh, cards and posters and other kinds of signs. People will be taking that stuff after the rally and fanning out across the city to go to businesses and other organizations to cover the city with census information. So those are just some of the things that we're doing. Well, I, how are you going to gauge success on this one? I mean, because we don't know where the population numbers are going to come in. We don't know if population is going up in the city. We, we assume that it's leveling off. We're not losing people the rate we used to. But for you, what's success? What's, what's a, is there a percentage goal that you're looking for? Yes. So our goal in this census campaign is to increase Detroit's response rate. That is the percent of people who submit their census forms <clears throat> to above 70%. In 2010, it was 64%, and it had gone down from the previous census. So that's our goal. We can't control the actual number of people that are counted, and like you said, we're not going to find out what that number is until spring of 2021. But we can control how many people send in their forms. And we know the more people who respond themselves, the more robust the count, the more accurate the count. So we'll be able to tell... Soon after the census goes live, the Census Bureau will be sharing information about every single census tract in the city of Detroit and across the country to say this is the percent of people who have turned in their forms. So we know every single tract and what our goal is for that tract. Um, so by the end of March, we'll be able to see what percentage of people have submitted their forms compared to the national average. And so we'll understand where, what direction we're going in and then we're going to be having canvassers go out to, to really promote the census. We'll be doing events, a bunch of events on April 1st. Um, like I said, we'll be, we'll be able to gauge those spots that are low, and we're going to be going directly to those spots, talking to the people in the neighborhood and about the importance of them filling out the census. Well, my guest has been Vicki Cavari, Executive Director of the Detroit 2020 Census Campaign. Obviously, the message is pretty clear. If you live in the city, fill out that census form. If you live anywhere, fill out the census form. It's important for accuracy and for resources that the community desperately needs. So it's kind of a big deal that you actually do this. But uh, again, a lot of planning has gone into this. I'm seeing a level of coordination I have not seen with this effort before. So best of luck. Uh, Thank let you. us know, and, and uh, we'll come back and we'll gauge I'd the progress on this. I'd love to come back, you know, end of March, beginning of April, um, we'll, we'll, we'll and kick, we'll be we'll able to some people's say where we're at. And tell, them to, tell them to get out there and do yeah, this. Amen. That's right. All right. Okay. Vicki Kavari, thank you so much. Thank you, Craig. All right. Pleasure. Vicki Kavari is Executive Director of the Detroit 2020 Census Project. Glad to have an opportunity to talk to her. Also, uh, when you get that form, fill it out. Send it in. It's kind of a big deal. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey, uh, if you are listening to this on Wednesday, which might be possible, maybe a couple days late, I'm not sure, but there's going to be a Democratic debate uh, in advance of the Nevada primary coming up. And this is the first one in which Michael Bloomberg is going to participate. Now, if you don't know Michael Bloomberg, of course, he's the former mayor of New York. He has been blanketing the airwaves with a steady stream of commercials that are attacking President Trump. However, he is a former Republican. 
mayor of the city of New York. He's been a registered Republican for the bulk of his life. Now he, of course, has changed to a Democrat, wanted to take on Donald Trump. He's got about $65 billion in his personal accounts. And you may have noticed in the last few days that the candidates that have been running in places like New Hampshire and uh, in Iowa have sharpened their attacks on Mr. Bloomberg because he is making inroads in the polls. We're seeing him pull in the teens nationwide right now, coming from virtually nowhere without competing in any of the early states thus far. He is going to be on the debate stage tonight, and I'm interested to see what kind of attacks are laid against him. We're already hearing it from Bernie Sanders and his supporters suggesting that he is an oligarch and should not be considered a Democrat at all. There are others who are saying that he's trying to buy the election. And there are others saying, hey, maybe we should be listening to this guy. He's got the only real chance of beating Donald Trump. He's the only one that's willing to go toe-to-toe, and he can outspend him by a huge margin. Now, interestingly enough, I'm not a Mike Bloomberg fan, but I'm looking at some of the attacks that are coming against him. He is well within his rights to run if he wants to. If he wants to spend his money on something like this, well, that's just the way the system works. And until we change it, until we change that system... And we actually get people listening to us and recognizing that unregulated cash coming into a campaign is not a good idea. Maybe some sort of public financing. We're going to be stuck with this. And the parties are going to allow it to happen because everybody loves a self-funded campaign. It's that much less money that you need to raise to be competitive. And I'm not a huge fan of money in politics. We've talked about this a number of times on this program and on my programs throughout the years. I think it definitely has a corrupting influence. But unfortunately, it is the game that is being played right now. So you hear a number of people saying, hey, we're going to raise money the grassroots way. We're going to raise it $5, $10, $12 at a time. And that's what Bernie Sanders and his supporters suggest. That's what Elizabeth Warren has been suggesting. Pete Buttigieg has said that most of his donations are uh, coming in those small amounts, but he is willing to accept whatever money comes his way because he recognizes he's going to need it. It is a necessary evil in politics given the way that the Supreme Court has changed the rules of the game. Unlimited contributions. Dark money. Shadow packs. Groups willing to attack other people without actually supporting anyone, even though you know exactly who they support. It is blood sport out there right now, and it is blood money. Now, I'm not suggesting that just because a candidate gets a contribution from somebody with a lot of money that they are beholden to that person but it might certainly give them an audience that they might not have otherwise had. And I'm not suggesting we're ever going to get out of there. But what I am suggesting, as we get ready to watch this debate tonight and we watch the candidates sharpen the knives against each other and dig in their fangs a little bit and try to tear up their opponents, I'm not going to do this kumbaya thing saying, Democrats, we all need to come together or we'll never beat Donald Trump. No, this is what, this is what primaries do. You figure out what the party's priorities are. You figure out where the people are, what they want to see done, the things that are most important to them. And hopefully you pick a candidate based on who matches the most of the things you want done and that the party wants done. And then you try to coalesce behind that candidate when all the dust settles and you get ready for the November election. I'm not going to panic about this. I'm expecting these candidates to eat each other alive tonight. I'm expecting them to take digs at Mike Bloomberg. I'm expecting him to suggest that the rest of the candidates aren't strong enough to take on Donald Trump, that he's the only one, and that his money is something that's going to propel him to it. I don't like it, but I understand it. And I will say this, as we watch this tonight, 
and we watch the candidates go after each other, and we realize that they might have differences of opinion on how quickly we can get to some sort of universal health care or whether we ever, ever should. They may have some differences of opinion on a number of different policies, whether it's immigration, whether it's taxation, debts and deficit, education, the environment. There's all going to be some small differences, for the most part, small differences in those policies, sometimes larger gulfs, but nothing that can't be talked about. All I know is this. Every single one of those candidates on that stage is somebody who will get my vote over the current occupant of the White House. That shouldn't be a shock to anybody that's listened to my program, knows how I feel about the president. But we're witnessing new things each and every single day that should give us all pause about where this country is headed. And if you are left-leaning in any way, progressive, never Trump or even, you really are going to have to consider who's up on that stage, whether it's Bernie Sanders, whether it's Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Tom Steyer, even Michael Bloomberg. Any of them, any of them, will be light years more respectful of the office, the traditions of the office, the morals and ethics that a president is supposed to possess than the current occupant of the White House. This is a guy who just pardoned Rod Blagojevich, who again attempted to sell the Senate seat. That's what the jury of his peers found, found him guilty of trying to sell that Senate seat that once belonged to Barack Obama. Remember his quote, hey, this isn't something you just give away. That's who this guy is. President Trump just tweeted out today that, hey, he never did sell that Senate seat, but he tried to. I do not like our president thinking it's okay that if you didn't get away with the crime you were trying to commit, that somehow it's not a crime. It's only a crime if you actually carried it out. There was a great line from The Simpsons several years ago. Sideshow Bob was in jail, and you can tell he's talking to his attorney, and he says, attempted murder. What is that? Did they give out Nobel Prizes for attempted chemistry? And it was a joke, and everybody knew it was a joke, and it was funny, because the argument was so ridiculous that everybody knew it was satire, and it was funny, and the ramblings of an obviously insane person in the character of Sideshow Bob. Now we have a president who used this in his own defense when it came to the quid pro quo with the Ukraine, saying, well, they got their money. Just because I attempted to hold it up, hey, that doesn't count because I never actually carried out the crime. Anybody on that stage tonight, as much as you get angry with that candidate because they maybe hurt the person that you like or say something bad about the person that you support, is going to be 10 times more worthy of your support in November than the guy that's in there right now. Every single day, he does something that makes me think less of him. And that's, I'm getting to a point where you realize there is no bottom. This is a bottomless pit. So before you sit there and suggest that you're only going to support one candidate, and if that doesn't happen, you're going to stay home, you can't do that. And I'm not going to sit there and say, and, and, and whine, but just recognize that no matter what you think about any of the people on that stage tonight, Joe Biden, any of them, are going to be light years better than the occupant of the White House, the current occupant anyway. Just remember that as you get angry tonight. And we'll talk a little bit about the debate tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it, but just want you to keep that in mind. All right, that's going to wrap up the show for this day. I certainly do appreciate all of you being with me. Don't forget, send me emails, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. 
You can also find me on social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. The show's got its own Facebook page. The show's got its own Instagram page. All kinds of other stuff that's going on there as well. Uh, Old podcasts can always be looked up. It's really simple. Just go to DeadlineDetroit.com. Click on the link there. You'll get to my page. It's good. You can find all the old episodes. And don't forget as well, on Friday, it's the week that was. It is our weekly somewhat satirical look at the news of the week. Nancy Derringer, myself, Alan Lingle, typically from Deadline, and a regular and so a rotating group of guests will sort of make fun and make light of some of the news of the week while also offering some pretty significant analysis. So hopefully you'll join us for that. We're going to try to get a uniform time set up for that so that you know exactly when it's going to broadcast live and you'll know exactly when you can download it. We're working on that right now. And as soon as I have some more details, I will give them to you. While I have a moment, I would like to thank my sponsors for this program, Samaritas and TechTown Detroit. I appreciate their support quite a bit. Looking forward to a couple more good conversations with the folks at TechTown as well. Um, really neat stuff going on over there all the time. Hey, thanks for checking it out today. We'll be back. See you soon. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in the city. We're asking you to support independent local journalism by joining our $3 a month membership. By joining, you become eligible to win prizes, including tickets for sporting events and gift cards to some of Detroit's best restaurants. Just go to our website and click the ad at the top or go to www.deadlinedetroit.com membership.